This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you are listening to episode number 40. Today, we're joined by Buddy Pyland of Ozonics. We're talking Canadian rut hunts, elk hunting, ozone, and of course, an Ozonics giveaway. So stay tuned. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 40 of the podcast. Uh, Today is a quick intro up front. As you're listening to this, I had to actually record this in advance. I'm actually in the throes of my Ohio rutcation at the moment. At this point, if you're listening to this on the the 9th of November, I'll have, I think, two days remaining. Hopefully, we, uh, my buddy and I had some luck to this point. If not, hopefully, we're going to tag out soon. Uh, But wanted to make sure that I got this out to you guys, even though I was uh, away without cell service or with minimal cell service. Um, One thing to make quick mention, you know, we have Buddy Pyland on uh, today from Ozonics. He was on previously, I want to say just about a year ago, um, and we talked some ozone. But today we brought him on because there there's been some kind of news, especially for us folks here in Pennsylvania, um, related to being able to use ozonic, Ozonics units in the uh, in the timber. So we brought, thought, thought it was a good time to bring Buddy back on and kind of talk about that. Uh, of course, Buddy had a great elk hunt or an interesting elk hunt uh, out west. I want to catch up with him on that as well. And then he has a hunt coming up here uh, in the not so distant future that he'll be going back to Canada um, for his rut hunt. He had a great hunt last year uh, there and he's hoping to kind of double up on or double down on that luck this year, so to speak. Uh, and like I mentioned in the intro to this, uh, we also have an Ozonics giveaway. 
So Buddy was kind enough to uh, include that in today's show. Um, the instructions, uh, cleverly enough, we've hidden at the end of the uh, podcast or somewhere during the course of the podcast. I guess if I just said the end, and you could probably just go to the end and, and get the details. Um, but there'll be instructions on how to enter into the giveaway. And of course, if you are the winner, um, once you follow those instructions, they're very simple. Um, we'll reach out to you and get your mailing information and get the unit shipped out to you as soon as possible. We'll likely make the drawing. Uh, of the winner here in probably uh, two weeks from this podcast and then I will get a hold of you on social media and we'll get all the logistics straightened out and get your unit out to you. So without further ado, we'll go ahead and get Buddy dialed in here and uh, get cracking on talking ozone, whitetail, and elk. Before we get Buddy on the line, let's take a quick moment to hear about our partners at Whitetail Institute of North America. As you all know by now, I've been using Whitetail Institute products for several years, and you've heard me talk about the larger plots I use on our family farm. But today, I wanted to share my experience that I've had with micro plots this past year. This year, I decided to hunt a small three-acre parcel that is adjacent to a large tract of public land and a farm that doesn't allow hunting. Now, this is also taking place in a super high-pressure area of eastern Pennsylvania. Uh, this three acres is, is by and large a transition area for the deer with very little bedding, and that it, this is really the route that they take to and from bed and food. I used Whitetail Institute of North America's bow stand to create a microplot, maybe 20 feet by 20 feet. Bow stand is designed to work in hard to reach areas with less than ideal soil conditions and reduced light exposure. This microplot is not intended to be the prime food source, only to slow down visiting deer long enough to provide a shot opportunity. And that is exactly what this did, or this plot did, this past weekend when I harvested my Pennsylvania buck. He was stopping at a licking branch on the edge of the food plot on his way to his nighttime feeding destination. Products like bow stand are designed to tip the odds in our favor in hard to hunt places. If you're hunting areas like this small parcel, then I encourage you to consider tactics like using microplots. And if you'd like to learn more about Whitetail Institute of North America products, visit them at whitetailinstitute.com. And now back to the show. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. Today, John and I are joined by uh, what we'll call a repeat or a second-time offender here on the show, uh, Buddy Piland of Ozonics. How's, how's it going, my man? Man, it's going good, guys. Glad to, I appreciate you having me on. I'm glad to be here and do a little talking about hunting. Yeah, I know. It's a uh, tis the season, right? It's the, the, the prime time of the year is just about upon us here and uh, things seem to be heating up, especially from all accounts from John this evening. So I know, you know, we had you on, this is your, your uh, second go around here, but for those who may have not have caught the first kind of uh, discussion, um, I just wanted to get a sense of, of your background a little bit, you know, what you do professionally, you know, especially in the outdoor uh, industry, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, yeah, so I've, I'm for Ozonics, uh, I guess my official title is um, Vice President of, of Marketing, but that's <laughs> really, really uh, I've been with the company since the beginning. Um, we started almost 11 years ago and with a prototype, and I've done everything along the way, and I've just kind of grown into this role. And uh, uh, so that's what I do for Ozonics. And, uh, but outside of that, I'm still a full-time uh, railroader. I work for uh, the railroad. I'm a conductor and actually a full-time union officer for, for my railroad. Nice. So a conductor, how does, that's always kind of interesting work. I've always thought I might, my cousin actually works for the railroad and his dad did. How do you kind of get into that line of work? Yeah, well, you know, most of the time it's a family affair, yeah. um, but but with 
But with me, um, no, it kind of is family. My wife, uh, her, her dad, her uncle, both her uncles, her grandfather are all railroaders. And when I first met her, um, actually, had, we'd gone on a went to her family's house, her uncle's house on Mother's Day, and I remember just sitting there looking around and going, "Man, this, this guy's got a pretty nice house, pretty nice cars." And right. so I asked him what he did for a living, and he said, "I'm a conductor for Southern Pacific Railroad." And I said. Man, well, so how do you get on the railroad? Because it looks like it's a pretty good job. And I, <laughs> I actually bought a, I bought a newspaper on the way home, and there was an ad in the newspaper. Um, that's 21 years ago. So I, I applied, and here I am. Nice. It sounds pretty good. It's uh, yeah. I I always kind of scope out what people do. What always interests me was when I go to these super small towns and I see people with you know these nice houses, nice cars. I'm always like, what do these people do here? You know, because it doesn't seem like there's a lot. Because I'm like, it looks like the cost of living is really cheap, but I'm not quite sure where they work. Like, uh, where was well, I? It was Asheville, North Carolina. Well, was one of those places. Yeah. Well, Asheville's kind of it's pretty artsy place there. Yeah. But yeah. No, the, the railroad is. Uh, it's a really uh, for a blue collar job um, it's a really still a very very good job now it's uh, very hard on your your family and and you're away a lot and you work of course you're on call typically 24 hours a day seven days a week and working all types of weather so there's a trade-off but it but it is a good job good good job right so you mentioned there, you know, the trade-off there with some time of, you know, how much time you have to kind of dedicate to it and on call. But how do you, how do you strike a balance with that during the all-important hunting season? Well, you, you know, so as you, the railroads are based on seniority, right? And as you, right. the more you, the more years you accumulate, the the better, typically, the better opportunities to hold different jobs, and so. For a long time, um, I, I would uh, I would stay off of jobs if I could avoid it that were on call 24 hours a day. I'd like to set schedules so I could take off and go fishing and hunting, and so that's that's kind of what I've done. I, I gave up a little bit of the um, the benefits of being on call all the time, which obviously that typically pays more right. to have the time off so I could enjoy fishing and hunting and, and doing what I wanted. So that's that's kind of how I made the time. Right. Yeah. In, you can't really put a price tag on those things. I, I would say, um, that time, of the, Absolutely. that time in the timber is a, is a precious time to clear the space between your ears a lot of times. So I agree <laughs> with you there. It's a, it's the time to decompress, right? I tell people that all the time, that whether I actually draw my bow or not, um, just as you said, that's the, I need that time to decompress and, and, and you know, come back to reality sometimes. Yeah, sometimes it's the only place you feel normal. Is is twenty right. feet up off That's the ground right. in a tree. You know, as odd as it might seem to uh, to some. But uh, so, speaking of, of of hunting, man, how's your how's your uh, season been so far? How's your whitetail season been? Whitetail season's been super slow. I've only I've only had time so far this year to to have two sits, and I've seen three raccoons and a couple squirrels. So I'm. As far as whitetail goes, I'm a little light right now. Um, Are you got, got big, some stuff. I was going to say, do Go you, have big, you have big plans for the rut? Uh, yes, I'm going to be in northern Saskatchewan. I leave next Saturday, as a matter of fact. So I'll spend the rut the same place I did last year, in, in, up in the bush in Saskatchewan chasing deer. Nice. Yeah, I remember the uh, the the – was it last year the buck that you killed that was a, was a bruiser? Was that last year's? Yeah, it was. It was. Nice. You got headed back to the same place? 
I am. I'm, I'm headed back to the same place, the same time, and uh, see what uh, what this year brings. Nice. It was pretty. It was abnormally warm last year for up there. And I, I talked to Jason today, and he there's eight inches of snow on the ground, but he said there's warm weather headed their way. So we'll see what happens. Nice. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you can double down this year and and. Uh... <laughs> And see if you can't outdo yourself last year, which last year was a was a was a pretty nice one. So uh, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for you. I guess we'll say that. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate that because it's gonna be t- it's gonna be hard to top, but I, I'm sure gonna give it a, a try. Nice. So I know uh, I forget. I think we were trying to connect earlier in the year, and you were. I think we were both. Well, I was getting ready to go out of town, and I think you were out of town at the moment. But uh, if I'm not uh-huh. mistaken, you went out west. You were you were hunting some elk, right? Yeah, actually, it's a, it, I'm, first time I've ever got to chase elk. It's been a, a dream of mine, and, and that happened this year. We got to hunt uh, western New Mexico, and uh, I can two things. One, people told me that it'll it'll ruin you, and uh, and you'll love it. And so both things happen, right? It'll ruin me because I can't. That's all I can think about. I can't <laughs> wait to do it again. Yeah, and uh, and I did. I loved every every second of it. And it was, a. Uh, it, it didn't end quite the, you know, of course the way I would have, would have, uh, wanted it to, I guess, but I, I wouldn't trade a second of it. Right. So yeah, this was my first trip out this year too. And you're right. I mean, it does. I mean, there's still just about every day I think about it. <laughs> you know, it was, it was weird. I'm not, I was in Montana and they just weren't, the week I was out, or I was out there, I guess for two weeks, they just weren't talking a whole lot. So we were having to do a lot of still hunting and we saw, we saw elk. We just couldn't get in into him at close enough range. I mean, one of our buddies, I was with him actually, he, he took one. Um, but everything else was, you know, at a distance, I had an opportunity at one that was at 60 ish yards, but we saw each other at the same time. So there wasn't like I had an opportunity to really draw my bow back or anything. Um, but mm-hmm. it, it does each up. It's like, I just like that. I like the grind of the, of the, of the tough hunt. Um, you know, I like the, uh, the terrain. I like, you know, how difficult the terrain is, the elevation. There's, I like all the moving that you do during it instead of sitting still. I mean, I still love hunting my whitetails, but there's just something about being, you know, I don't know. It's almost like you're more predator like in a, in a way. Yeah, no, I, I tell people, I always equate to me hunting. I love hunting whitetails like you do. I mean, that's a, it's a passion of mine, but hunting big deer can be stressful, right? It, yeah. It's kind of, it, it's not physically stressful. I mean, you do get tired, right? You're up early, you're out long days and you're in late and you get everything ready to go again, but it, it just, you're always amped up, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of stressful. But whereas elk hunting, I found it to be, it, it's physically demanding and it's mentally demanding but it's so different because the strategy involved Mm -hmm. is completely different than with whitetail for the most part i mean if you're hunting water holes or or um you know something like that it's very similar to whitetail but like you're saying when you're on the move and you're like we had i mean they were bugling um, the the 10 days we were out there and so it, yeah, it was incredible, and you're constantly moving, and yeah, it's so different and so much fun. And I think the coolest thing or is really the biggest challenge is that every time you set up on one, it's completely different, and it's so spontaneous, right? It happens right here, right now. Get ready, he's coming, you know. Right. And 
you're like, okay, where's he going to come? Where's my shot? You know, is he, can, can I get him, can I get him to drag by me so I can get a quarter and away shot or, you know, it's just so much fun. Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting. Like you were talking about, can you get him to come by you? And a lot of that, you know, the strategy is, you know, one spotting them and then two kind of stalking in where they're at. And three, it's like, if you're hunting with a partner, which, you know, I was every day, you know, it was yep. then setting up your call sequences and positioning the person who's going to call and positioning the person who has the shot opportunity at the right place. So you're bringing the bull, you know, down the correct trail, essentially, you know, to give you right. the opportunity. Um, and the wind out there is just a fickle, fickle beast, especially when you get on some of those, um, you know, some of those points whenever you're 9,000 foot up or whatever, you know, it's the wind just <laughs> is not your friend at that point, which makes it really difficult, which I wanted to ask you, do, were, is, is Ozonics an option whenever you're doing Western hunts? Like, is there, is there an option? I'm not sure what state you were hunting. I'm not sure. You know, I think they're legal out there, but you know, is there an option to, to use that type of technology for those hunting scenarios? Uh, absolutely. First off, we're, we're legal. And, um, up to this point, we were legal in every state except for Pennsylvania. And it wasn't specifically that Ozonics was illegal. It right. was that it was not on the list of a, approved electronic devices. Mm-hmm. Um, and so out there, yes. And, and to answer the question, any animal that uses their nasal vortex as their primary defense mechanism as a whitetail bear, in this case, an elk, uh, ozonics it's the same principle super effective and what we did literally is is with me every day i had a i had a guide that was with me every day um and and i had a cameraman so that added to it but all three of us were um either what we call a kinetic skeleton that would hold an hr 300 and it straps to your pack and and it, it put pushes the oxidant into the downwind airstream or we had it in our dedicated kinetic packs that's designed specifically for that. I I had tested the skeleton. I I was using my XO um, mountain gear pack and testing the skeleton on it, but the other guys were wearing, actually wearing kinetic packs or or modified the skeleton to their packs. Yeah. It's funny. While I was out there, there was a few different occasions. There was one particular instance where we had a bull that was responding to us and uh, we had the right wind for about five minutes <laughs> and, uh, and it shifted. And then in that moment, I was kind of like, man, this would be a great time to use, um, you know, an Ozonics unit with the kinetic pack is kind of what I was, exactly what I was thinking. So that's interesting that you guys were actually using them. So did you, were, do you, were there situations where you were able to kind of, um, I don't want to say, you know, beat the animal's nose per se, but were there situations where that, you know, you definitely were getting in closer or provided maybe more of an opportunity because of the, the ozone unit on this particular Well, hunt? yeah. So I can't wait till we, we, as we compile the footage from, I mean, that was nine days of incredible, um, encounters. And, and honestly, the last night was probably the, to, to your question, the a definitive moment where for the first time I was using it on an animal that I had never hunted. Right. I experienced this with bear and, and, pigs and whitetail for many years, but I'd never used it on elk. And, um, the very last night we were there, I, we literally, we had about 45 minutes of light left and we were, you know, making a, a run to this meadow and pretty much we're done. You know, you're kind of in that, well, it's over phase, but as we come over a rise, 
you know, we bumped. I mean, the meadow had a whole, there was probably 15 cows and a five by five bull with them. And we were able to, as we stepped up, we seen them before they seen us. So we backed up and they were feeding down the meadow toward us. Mm-hmm. So I, I literally just tucked up against a tree on my knees. The guy right behind me and cameraman set up about 10 yards to our right. And for the next 30 minutes, and the cows fed straight downwind of us all on film. But here, here's the cool part. And I've seen this happen with Whitetail many times. But you would see a cow as she's working, she'd be eating, eating, eating. And then all of a sudden her head would go straight up and she starts checking a wind alert, right? She mm-hmm. just got a little bit of us, you know? Mm-hmm. She just got a little bit of something she didn't recognize. Or if she did recognize it as human, it was so faint that it just put her on alert and she would check the wind, check the wind and then go back to feeding. Right. Because she couldn't get anymore. And all of that, we, that was 30 minutes of that as they filtered past us. And, uh, then right about about two minutes of dark and you can watch this bull as he comes in and gets broadside to me. And he, it looks like if you watch the film, it looks like he's trying to bugle, but he wasn't bugling. What he was doing is he's hunched over and he's licking his nose. He's trying to pick us up. Right. He's just like, he can, it was, it's all incredible. All of them down one of us, all on film, just beautiful, beautiful footage until, you know, I, I'll tell them myself here until I muffed the shot at 57 yards <laughs> and went right underneath, <laughs> right, right oh, underneath him. Yeah. So, it happens to the best of us. It happens to the best of us, man. That's, that's for sure. But the thing is, is that, you know, and this was something that I was new for me that I experienced was that, you know, it's the, the hard part is, I mean, yes, it's challenging to bring a bull in and to call them in and stuff like that, but it's just, you know, kind of like whitetail during the, the, the rut where it's like, you can start to fool them a little bit because they're not thinking correctly. You know what I mean? Like their biology is making them make some poor decisions uh, from time to time. But that cow is if especially because they're at that point they're herded up you know what i mean like they've got their their harem so it's like you're not dealing with a single cow that you're trying to beat to get to the bull there could be six seven eight of them so you have you know eight noses you have to beat before you can get to the bull even you know what i mean so the fact that you're able to kind of get you know that close to the cows with them being downwind and then never bat an eyelash at it you know or they batted an eyelash but it wasn't enough to make them blow out um you know that's a testament there to you know the the you know what the product's able to do essentially you know because that's um my buddy had a shot opportunity not this past year but the year before and he was in a similar situation as you he had a herd bull at a i think he said he started at about 80 yards and he stalked all the way in to about i think he said 40 and he was you know, there were cows between he and the bull and he just couldn't quite get the shot opportunity. The wind shifted and the cows, the bull never knew that he was there, but the cows picked him up right away and they split. And that was all she wrote, you know, and it was a nice, Oh yeah, it's a nice bull. I can't, I can't wait to, uh, to show people the footage of that. Again, the bull, the bull was a small five by five. Um, I had, I had passed a bigger bull, um, five days earlier and I had a, I had an encounter with a true monster. The reason why I hunted New Mexico Saturday morning, the last day mm-hmm. at 17 yards. And, uh, um, you know, again, long story short, did not shoot him. I shot over and we got caught in the open. I didn't really have a good angle on him. And anyway, long story, he, he was double main beam on the right side. Mm-hmm. So, so prop, 
probably, I mean, the guy that said, look, he, he's, he was a 340 bull without that, that 40 inches of, of additional antler. So they are looking at, I had a, a true giant right there in front yeah. of me at 17 yards. Incredible. Yeah. It's a world-class All bull right there. Film. Oh got- no. I, it's, it's sad and awesome all at the same time. <laughs> so many emotions. <laughs> so many. <laughs> oh man. So well, well I hey spent man, nine the, days. Yeah, I mean, looking the, for that. The good thing is, is that you got into him, man. Because I mean, even seeing an animal oh, yeah. of that caliber in the in the wild is 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 tough. I mean, it, it, I just want to go back to talking about you know ozone and, and these hunting applications and stuff like that, and, and kind of particular to the western hunt because the place where I really thought mm-hmm. it would have been helpful for me was our hunt was a you know two weeks diy um you know we were in canvas tents for for the most of it um you know and so showers weren't uh, readily available um and so you know in the first couple the first couple of days we were out there we were tickling 90 degrees so it was pretty nasty hikes you know as far as sweat and stuff like that like could have really used something to kind of keep the stink down if, if not just for my clothes maybe just in you know four dudes sleeping in a tent you could use something to kind of help with the uh yep. with, with the with the odors so you know i know you guys have uh, have something that kind of helps with the with the clothing aspect of it is that did you employ any of that while you were out there is that something feasible to take when you're kind of doing like a, a diy hunt with limited resources no as a matter of fact i did so i i had i had um two sets of sitka sub alpine the, the lightweight for the heat just like you're talking about yep. um a set of pants and a top you know and every day i would um come in when we were done and i would take my dry wash and deploy it just like we talked about it's hanging there and i would i would ozonate or or dry wash my clothing turn all my gear inside out put it in there run it on the 10 minute cycle that the hr 300 has built into it you go to it i would flip the clothes right side out hit it again for another 10 minute cycle while we went to eat or whatever we would do and then i would just leave it sealed in the bag until the next morning when you know four in the morning get up get dressed you can you know the clothes still um smell fresh i did that for an entire week i wore some we were there 10 days. We hunted nine of those days every day. And I wore two sets of clothes the whole time, the pants and the shirt. And literally just every day, same sets. Yeah. That's what I was missing out on. Cause I'm pretty sure most of my clothes that I took with me could have stood up and walked out of the tent on their own by like the fourth day. So <laughs> it's no wonder I got busted. I got busted a couple of times on a shift of wind. Cause I wasn't fooling myself while I was walking, let alone an animal that might've got downwind of me. Um, no, that, the dry wash will save you in that. It, it does a couple things. One, you don't have to take near as much as many clothes. And if you're doing a backcountry hunt, you understand how important it is. Now, a guy would be like, well, yeah, I'm trading those clothes for this dry wash bag. But it folds down super small. And, uh, again, you can hang it anywhere. And the, the biggest difference there's a, a, between that and just – dumping your clothes in a bag is, is if you look at our dry wash bag, what you'll find is a lot of technology inside of a very, what appears to be a very simple bag, right? Mm-hmm. We, it took us five years to develop that bag because back in 2011, we had a bag with a built-in ozonator in it and, and like, like some of the other people in the market right now. But what we figured out very, very quickly is, is that, um, it's not as effective and it has a downside. Right. Right. And so we went back to the drawing board and five years later, we come out with a dry wash. We have a baffle system that, that creates airflow. We have the dry wash 
process built into the, to the HR 300 that controls the oxidant, the amount of oxidant in an enclosed space. So you treat the clothes without destroying the clothes, because quite frankly, you buy, you know, a few hundred dollars worth of clothes and you put them in there. The last thing you want to do is eat them up. And so that, that's, that's part of the, the story here. You want to deodorize and sanitize, not degrade and destroy. Right. Let's take a quick break to hear a word about our partners at Exodus Outdoor Gear. Now, this year I have tagged out in, in Pennsylvania earlier than I usually do, so I found myself with some extra time on my hands, and I plan to use this time wisely. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to be looking at a few new pieces of public land to hunt for next year and start to formulate a game plan to get an idea of how deer use the property. Uh, of course, want to see if there are a lot of hunters in those areas. Um, and how I plan to do this is to use my Exodus Outdoor Gear uh, trail cameras to really serve the ground for me while I'm not there. Uh, I know what some of you are thinking that, you know, it's, it's a risk placing trail cameras on public property uh, for fear of them getting stolen. Um, but this is where we're going with an Exodus trail camera. You buy yourself some, some assurance because if there, if your camera is stolen, your Exodus camera is stolen while in the timber, um, they will give you a new camera at 50% off the re- original retail value. That's a big help and allows me to kind of go to these new places, these public land places, hang a trail camera and be assured and feel comfortable with leaving my camera there knowing that if something does happen the exodus trail cameras have my back so if you'd like to learn more about exodus trail cameras and how you might be able to get into one head over to exodusoutdoorgear.com uh john do you want to want to add anything yeah um so i know um is it buddy is it the natural rubber is what will break down by the ozone but synthetic rubber will not break down from the ozone Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, there's a lot of a, a lot of different textiles, and, and some are more resistant to it than others. Um, and to your point, elastics um, are very susceptible. And again, so what, what you have to do is minimize it. You have to have an. It's kind of like I, I tell people: if you take a gallon of bleach, right, and you pour it on top of your clothes in your washing machine, just dump the whole gallon. You're going to destroy all of those clothes. But if you take a cup of bleach and you pour it in the right spot on your washing machine and you run it on the right cycle, you're going to clean and deodorize those clothes. The use of ozone is the same, even with elastics. If you use the ozone properly in the right concentrations and the right amount of time, then you it's not going to be an issue unless you dump the whole gallon of bleach in there, right? In this case, more sure. is not better. What is better is the right amount for the right amount of time. And that's what we do with the dry wash and the dry wash cycles. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think one thing you mentioned there that I thought was important is that more in this instance isn't necessarily better, right? I think a lot of people make the mistake of, you know, well, if I do this for 10 minutes, if I do it for 40 minutes, it must be four times as good. Um, but That's right. my understanding is that ozone doesn't work that way. It's like it, it it's the way it operates is that it, it has a. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to say it since I'm not a scientist, but it has a set amount of time that it needs in order to do its job plus 
additional time on top of that does does you no better than the initial amount of time. So if it's 10 minutes, well, 20 minutes, it doesn't do you any better than 10 minutes did. Well, right, because again, imagine when you're treating items. Now, the exact opposite is true in an open-air environment when you're using active scent control to hunt. So, so when you're in a tree stand, it's about time and concentration there as well, but it's the reverse. I need... The, the higher my concentration of ozone in the downwind airstream, the more likely I am to completely destroy the odor that my body's releasing into the downwind airstream or to alter it. So, so I want as much ozone dumping downwind as I can. But when it comes to treating in a passive sense, which is what you're doing when you treat your clothes or your boots in a, an enclosed environment, then it, the time and concentration element is different. It, at that point, I need just enough to accomplish what I'm after to, to eliminate the odor on that garment or in that garment, right? That's why you turn – ozone doesn't burrow and dig, right? That's why I told you take your shirt, turn it inside out, treat it. it surface area exposure. That's why if you wad your clothes up into a bag and stuff them down there, you're only treating – certain areas and you're creating hot spots. That's why our bag is designed for hangers and you, you can't stuff a bunch of gear in there. You put a couple of things in there. We create airflow. So we literally push the ozone down the back of the bag and from the bottom and push it back up through your clothes and it vents out the front. Also in our dry wash cycle, you're dumping concentrated ozone and then you're flushing and, and leveling out that concentration with fresh air and you're repeating, repeating for a 10 minute cycle. Nice. And so, so again, what you're doing is you're protecting the textile while you deodorize it. Because to your point, once you kill what's on it, as long as you don't expose it to, to those odors again, it's good. Until you unzip it and put it on, just like any garment, it's going to be sitting inside there, good to go. Right. I think one thing I wanted to make mention of here is that, you, you know, you mentioned what's unique about your bag it is in the fact that, you know, the, the way you try to avoid hot spots, right? The way you flow, like if you just yep. jam stuff in the bottom of a container, um, I think that's something that's unique for you guys in terms of against the some of the other ozone opportunities that are out there in the, in, in the space, you know, because a lot of that uh, that I see at least has been related to less of a... Uh, how do I say it? Less of an airflow kind of uh, approach to it, uh, for, mm-hmm. I guess, for a lack of a better way to say it. But with that being said, you know, what are some of the other things that makes an Ozonics unit unique and different from other, you know, ozone related products? Well, the, the primary difference is, is that, as we were talking about earlier, when you really begin to think of, of scent control in new terms, active and passive passive being I treat the the gear and the, and myself but it does nothing for my breath does nothing for the residual odor I release into the downwind airstream we're the only product out there that addresses what truly is the issue you and traditionally all scent control since it since its birth its inception has been designed to reduce odor or eliminate odor on you on Clint, on, on John, on Buddy. But the problem is, is as we move, we breathe, we sweat, we have gear that that if we spray ourselves down, maybe we don't cover ourselves as the spray um, dehydrates, it becomes less effective. And so I begin to release, it degrades, right? It Mm -hmm. becomes less effective as time goes on. 
As I get in my stand, now I'm sweating, I'm breathing, I'm dumping odor. So passive scent control has has real limitations. Of course, I would I always tell people do what you can to reduce the odor on you because that makes it your unit and the amount of ozone you're dumping it down on the airstream. The concentration factor doesn't have to be as high to overcome it, right? Right. But so so traditionally, everybody wants to clean you up. But here's the problem. Deer don't smell you. They smell the odor you release into the downwind airstream. So if I back up and say, okay, so if I can eliminate that, it no longer matters what I smell like, what I'm wearing or not wearing, or, or what I'm covering myself in or not covering myself in. Right. Well, that's the uniqueness and the true epiphany of, of hunting with oxidation in an open air environment is that I'm keeping that air, that, that space between me and the animal clean. doesn't matter. It's just like, that's why we hump the wind, right? Because he can't, if, if the wind's blowing in my face behind me and he walks out in front of me, there's no way he can smell me. Can't do it because right. the wind is carrying my odor the other way. Right. But now I can do something about that downwind airstream. It's the same scenario. He can't smell me or if he does smell something that's been altered. That's the primary unique thing, and we're the only one that can do that in an active station. You climb in your tree, you have you have a hunt scent control. As long as that battery's running, it's 100%. It's not degrading. In a perfect world, it's actually getting better because ozone, once it sanitizes an area, it tends to sit, for lack of a better analogy, and wait to attach itself back to something. It has a half-life. And, and you can sanitize an area and your effectiveness could grow. So in a vacuum, you would get more ozone, more ozone, more ozone, and, and less odor, less odor, less odor. Right. Obviously, in, in a place where you have current air currents, there's always stuff moving in and out. Right. So speaking of that, with with air currents, you know, and what you'd mentioned was, you know, in a vacuum, you just continue to deodorize, deodorize, you know, and, and ozone, ozone, ozone. But, you know, what is there... I guess I'm trying to figure out how to ask this. So do, do you use the units differently? So the ozonics units, whenever you have a steady wind versus no wind, cause I know, you know, I'm, I'm the king of getting the wrong wind while I'm sitting in a tree stand. I'll get one wind whenever I'm setting up and then <laughs> whenever after I set up the wind changes on me. But you know, this past two, like two weeks ago when I was in the stand, I had the odd wind of literally using my, um, you know, my wind checker and I've got zero wind. Like everything was just dropping to the bottom of my tree while I was sitting there. Right. It was the first time I've probably ever had no wind. So I was literally set up for almost any, any deer to come in <laughs> at that moment, which is the first for, you know, for me, I think probably in forever, but do you have, is there a different way to set up and use these units versus having a, a normal, you know, predictable wind or steady wind versus not having any wind at all? Absolutely. So the, one of the, so I like to tell people, one of the most important things, like with any tool, you need to learn how to correctly apply oxidation or ozone to your hunt, right? How to use the unit correctly. And that changes with every situation. Like a, like you don't just walk in a tree and go, I'm going to put a, I'm going to put a stand, a, a tree stand right here. What you do is you look at maps, you determine bedding areas, you determine feeding areas, you find pinch points. You look at likely travel routes during a rut scenario as opposed to a a pre-rut, bachelored up feeding scenario. You do all of these things, you take this data in, and then then you set your stand up. 
because you want to be in the most likely place to, to be successful. Now, it's no different, but more on a micro level. When you climb in a tree, you need to determine, hey, what's my wind doing? How high is the wind? What, what do I expect you to do? Because as I said, the most important piece is always dumping your ozone in the downwind airstream. So many people still think you just put the unit above your head and turn it on. Right. And and it that's not how you do it, right? You 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 climb in a tree, normal operation, normal winds, eight, eight to twelve inches above you, and always in the downwind direction. So if the wind shifts on you, you have to be conscious of that and move your unit. To your point, I always start out at a thirty degree angle, right? Just a slight angle on the unit. One, this protects it from any moisture if it if it happens to mist or or maybe start snowing. Two, the other thing it does is it, it's dumping that ozone out into your downwind airstream at an angle where you, to catch your odor because that's what everything the way you need to always think when you set up. Where's my odor going? And how do I get it to encounter ozone as quickly as possible and for as long as possible? Time and concentration. So to your point, when the winds, when there's zero wind, you'll find my unit at a 90 degree angle dumping ozone straight to the base of the tree. That's where my odor's going. Mm -hmm. So that's where I want my ozone to go. I want the two to mix. So a lot of people think I always use the analogy that if you took a stream and pretended that's a stream full of water, a brook or a trout brook, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's flowing away from, and you're standing in the middle of it and you take, and that's your downwind airstream and you take a green food coloring and you just start dumping it in there. Well, that's your odor, right? And you can watch that odor. It's not a linear stream. Typically it begins to mix and move. And in some places it's thicker and some places it's thinner and some places it doesn't exist at all. Then you take red food coloring and you begin to dump it in there in massive amounts because that's what you're doing with ozone. Mm -hmm. And you watch how the two interact. There will be places where the red completely overpowers and the green disappears completely. Some places you'll see where the green and red mix and they change colors. Right. That's altered human odor. Some places you'll see they just miss each other and they don't happen to interact. And a little bit of that green gets through. That's what's happening in a downwind airstream. In a perfect world, you dump enough ozone and you and you release a, a minimal amount of odor and you destroy all of it so that nothing gets to the animal. Right. Or it changes color and what gets to the animal is no longer human. He smells something or she smells something, but it, they don't recognize it. And thus they, they don't spook. They're not gone. And sometimes... Every now and then, just like I was saying with them, them cow elk, I could tell the way her head came up and she went to alert, I felt like she smelled me. But she didn't get enough of me to blow out of there. It was enough for her to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then to check and check and check and she didn't get more, she goes back to feeding. And so that's how you should imagine what's going on downwind of you. It's not a linear thing. Here's ozone and here's your odor. Right. The, the the currents are are getting them to mix and spin and and flow. Right. That's you know that's one thing I think I've started paying attention to just in general this year more is not just what is the prevailing wind 
in my stand location, but what is it doing 20, 30, 40 yards away from me if I can, if I can tell that far, you know? And so I've moved from mm-hmm. using like a normal wind checker, um, you know, the, the powder version to using like milkweed where I can throw it and I can watch what the current's going to do. Cause it might, it might be coming from my right shoulder across my face in my stand. And that might be what's happening 10 yards out in front of me, but there might be a current that is taking my wind at that 10 yard mark and now moving it to the left five yards you know, and that's, Absolutely. and that's where my scent is, you know? And so I think part of it too, is, is that, you know, using this the right way is not only just setting it up, you know, what I'm hearing you say is like, it's not just setting it up and saying, this is how I'm going to set it up. It's, it's, if you want to use it to its, its most effective, then you need to understand what your wind is doing beyond just the point of your, of your tree stand, your own personal space. What's it doing out in front of you? Well, and then you can start to kind of really put your game plan together. Right, and it's so I don't know if you duck on or not, but the same thing. You, a guy doesn't just walk up to the edge of the water, a duck hunter, and throw his decoys out and go, "I'm going to hunt here." What he does is he goes, "Okay, where's the wind coming from? Where's the sun going to come up? Where are these ducks going to circle and cup and come in? And where should I be to get the best shot at them?" There's some thought into it. It's the same thing with this. You climb in a tree, and if the winds are picking up, I'm going to pull that unit a little closer to me. If if the wind is blowing almost in my face behind me, well, I may position that unit on the far right or left-hand side of the tree so I can dump that ozone into that downwind airstream away because that's where my odor is going. I take into effect how is the wind passing around the trees near me, right, because they create their own currents. Just to your point, the trees, the the foliage, the me and my backpack, they create they create currents and eddies that you need to take into account. It's not hard, but you need to you take a few minutes just to assess the situation to position your unit so you can be far more effective. I can give you the best bow in the world. And if you shoot it upside down, it doesn't work very good. No <laughs> different no different with with an HR with an ozonics unit, I can, it's the best sin elimination tool in the world. But if you use it incorrectly, it doesn't work very well. And even then, I see a lot of people and I, that use it wrong, and they call and we talk about it, and they find out they still experience good results despite the fact that they're using it marginally. When guys figure out exactly how to start using it and apply it based on their current environmental situations it changes it dramatically improves success right yeah i mean it's just it's like you said it's like it's like anything else if you if you use the tool you know correctly the way it's supposed to be used you get the you know the maximum success out of it if you if you don't then your you know your output's going to be limited it's uh, the old theory of uh, garbage in garbage out <laughs> kind of a kind of approach yeah. if you don't take your time and set up you know correctly that's right you're going to um probably not have the uh the best outcome. Yeah, uh, sorry, having a hard time speaking this evening. John, do you have anything you want to add to that? <laughs> yeah, the um, well, we were, you know, you guys were talking about the wind trackers, and you know, Buddy and I go way back, and um, used to get Buddy a lot of wind tracker footage and and, and whatnot. And it, it's a very interesting point. You know, a lot of guys they do their dusters in the in the tree, and those wind trackers tell you exactly what's going on. Um, and, and I like that the way that you explain that buddy with the, uh, setting the different degrees for if you've got a two mile an hour wind versus if you have a 15 mile an hour wind, um, you know, there's been some talk 
and I've heard some other guys that have tried, you know, ozonics. And, and one of the things that I would hear people say is, you know, in particular thermals, I would get that pooling of ozone at the base of my tree. Uh, what do you guys suggest uh, people doing on particular thermals? Either turn the unit on or don't run the unit until the thermals start to rise or what? No, me, I, I run my unit constantly and and always. The, the point is, is that, again, first off, ozone, and I, I guess the question is when they, people talk about pooling, they believe that maybe an animal reacts to ozone. And I, I've never seen an animal react to what I believe was ozone. One, ozone typically is reacting with everything. It's so volatile that moisture, dust, pollen, odor, anything that's in the air, you're, the ozone's reacting with it. So after it gets 20, I mean, to get 20 yards from you would be an amazing feat. But let, let's assume that it does pull at the base down there. Um I I don't know that that's a negative thing. Again, that's where my odor's going, and that I've never seen an animal react negatively to it. Ozone occurs naturally in the environment, so so animals have smelled it. Maybe not in high concentrations, but they have smelled it. And so, eh, I my recommendation at any time I use it from the time I I get out of the truck on my back to the stand up the ladder in the tree wherever I have the unit running now now that and always have so I know um you know one thing I wanted to ask is you know I, I know since the last time we we spoke um you guys I believe came out with a new a new unit right the HR the HR 300 uh, versus the I believe your previous unit was the 200 right yeah, we, we've had the HR 200. We still do. And then, yes, we came, we actually introduced the HR 300 last year. Um, and, and we, uh, we had a real hard time keeping up with demand last year. And so the, it, this year is, uh, has been really good, but we, and we were able to, uh, to meet demand this year and it's been a lot of fun, but yeah, HR 300. So what's the, I guess there, I, I'm sure there are some differences between the two. So I'm just kind of curious what mm-hmm. the, what the differences are. I'm assuming the, the 300 unit, I'm, I'm assuming might be, you know, battery life is a little bit longer, possibly, you know, maybe the weight's a little bit different. If you could just kind of describe what the differences are, that way people kind of know, um, you know, it, which one might be a better option for them in their, in their hunting scenarios. Sure. Um, so the 200 has been our workhorse. We introduced it first in 2010. And then again, in 2016 was when we introduced the HR 300. Um, the HR 200 has been an unbelievable, um, workhorse, right? Very, very effective. The, the design on the 300 was when we went into it was to do a couple things, right? There are certain environmental challenges I talk about where, from a time and concentration aspect, the only way to overcome that environmental challenge, like winds in excess of, you know, 13, 14 miles an hour, you start getting up there. Well, it tended to dissipate or dilute your concentration of ozone so quickly. And the only counter to that was to add more ozone. So it would put you in a situation where you needed an additional unit. So one of the things that we really worked hard to do was, okay, how do we create a unit that produces more ozone? And so in the 300, you'll find a unit that produces 45% more ozone than the 200. Um, So in those instances where you uh, hit an environmental challenge, such as real strong high winds, you have that additional ozone to overcome that. Um, 
The second thing is, is we introduced the dry wash cycle. The HR 200s um, do not have that built in. It would be a manual process where in the 300, it's, a, it's an automated process where you turn it on, punch dry wash, and 10, 10 minutes later, it shuts itself off. You, you go do what you want. You want to come back in three hours and, and run it again? Great. It, you can. If you want to come back in 10 minutes and turn it on again, you can. But you don't have to worry about doing what we talked about earlier, overexposing your gear right. to ozone. Um, the other, some, a couple other things, just feedback from hunters, from uh, uh, every, you guys, other people in trees, is that, hey, the units, um, it's a little awkward, right? So if you look at the 300, the 300 looks to be the same size or smaller when in reality it has a slightly larger footprint, but ergonomically it's easier to hold it. We've, we've, it's easier to function in the dark. You have much larger power button and mode button. Um, slightly simplified. So even in the dark with the gloves on, you go, okay, there's my power button. There's my mode button. You don't have to see it. So um, as far as battery life goes, what we were able to do, because there's a trade-off, right? In order for me to produce more ozone, I require more energy. And if I require more energy, typically I'm going to drain my battery faster. So it took us a while to figure that piece out. And what we did was evolve um, our, and, and improve our battery technology. Now, that battery technology is a fickle thing. It's always a challenge, right? If you guys use cameras all the time, right. you understand that, that lithium-ion batteries are, are a, a challenge. Um, but what we were able to do is create uh, a standard battery and an XL battery that matched the same battery life as the HR200s. So you would get five hours in standard mode and, and up to four hours in um, boost mode with your standard battery and then double that for XL battery. So 10 hours in standard mode and up to eight hours in um, boost mode and still get the 45% more ozone. And we did that by creating what we call a smart battery and smart charger. Both of them have microprocessors in them now that talk to each other to optimize charge, um, the charging cycle and uh, the charging life. And so th th those are the major differences. And that's, uh, we're able to give you more ozone and the same battery life. Nice and something that's a little bit easier to handle in the tree, which is always nice in the uh, sure in, in, in the, the dark in the dry wash mode. That's right. Right. That's absolutely well, and it has the easy mount too. The the, the HR three hundred comes with our easy mount system, whereas the two hundred that's an accessory. Right. So one of the uh, I know one of the things when we were you know trying to get this uh, when we were getting this uh, podcast scheduled and set and set up mm -hmm. the exciting news that kind of came about at least here for for pennsylvanians this might be you know again um not as new news for some other states but pennsylvania has finally you know uh, uh made like you said before ozonics wasn't necessarily illegal it just wasn't on the list of things that were noted as acceptable you know electronic devices it is now um in the books to be able to be legal to be used in pennsylvania which is exciting i think it goes correct me if i'm wrong here buddy but doesn't it go officially in the books in pa i think mid-november is when it becomes official official legal to use in the in the, in the tree yeah i so i'm gonna i'm gonna avoid going on record with an official day because i've seen two different ones and so uh, yes my my understanding is it would be mid sometime in mid-november that it's a, it's actually official i know in september the board met and uh, uh gave it the tentative approval and um that that is a, a huge 
an exciting thing for us. There's a lot of uh, a lot of fans and deer hunters in, in PA, obviously. And, uh, you know, that's always been a question that we've, we've had to field and, and explain, you know, cause again, to me, the, a lot of people go, Oh, it's illegal. And I think you, you said it right a minute ago. It, it wasn't that Ozonics was illegal. It's just that PA has a very, um, a, a very strict rule on what is legal if it's an electronic device, right? They, I mean, it was just up until recently that a range finder was legal to use in, in PA and, uh, so people would find that interesting, but yep, it's, uh, I'm excited to see uh, what we do. I hope that we get to go to the Harrisburg show this year. We've never, never really worked that show, but, um, it makes sense to go now. Yeah, I'll be, uh, I'll be seeing you there. Cause I, I live not too far from there. I'm about, uh, about an hour, hour and 10 minutes outside of Harrisburg. So I'll definitely be, be stopping by. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I got some buddies here. I definitely, they're excited to see, um, yeah, this becomes something that they can use and you're right. It wasn't, it wasn't too long ago when they, um, legalized, you know, digital, you know, or range finders, which is, um, kind of crazy considering how kind of, uh, you know, an obvious tool that they are that people like to use. Um, but John, did you have a question you want to ask here? Yeah. Um, kind of a, a two-parter, um, as far as the, the laws concerning the ozone in, in PA, how much of a part did ozonics, um, play a role in that? I mean, did you guys, did you guys approach the state? Um, did you have to do some lobbying or was it kind of an educational thing where you guys had to educate some lawmakers? And if so, how long did a process like that take? Well, I, I you know, I can say this really the credit should all go to um, the guys in PA. There, there are a lot of people I, I've had many, many conversations over the year and, and I, years and we had always taken the position that to lobby it, to lobby for legalization seems very self-serving on our part, and we chose sure. the path that we believed our gear was so effective that as hunters used it um, and and began to believe in it, that that voice would be would would push that through. So it's probably taken. Um, a little longer than some people would like, but I again, I think that if had we gone in and and pushed and and it would have been looked very very self serving. And what I think has worked is just the voice of the people. We had so many phone calls, and everyone that would call me, I would explain to them the situation. And I literally this year, this summer, um, an, I've got the email saved because the guy was so awesome. He was he was kind of upset with me. Um, but when I said, Hey, look, I, you guys have to contact these guys. They, they need to hear from PA residents. They need to hear from PA hunters because that's, what's going to change the tide. And that's exactly what did it. I, I don't believe it was anything on us other than the encouragement we gave the hunters, the deer hunters in PA to, to talk to the, the DNR and have those conversations and send emails. And they did those things. And, and here we are today. Yeah, I think that's important, uh, you know, kind of point that you make there, which is, you know, Pennsylvania is a huge um, heritage hunting state. It's like the numbers, I, re- I forget exactly what the numbers are, but they're they're teetering pretty close to a, a million hunters in the woods, um, you know, every every year. I think it's between us and Michigan, if I'm not mistaken, as far as the number of hunters that hit the timber every year. 
Um, and that's just a good point to make that like when, when the hunters band together and want something, you know, if it's, you know, the use of different electronic devices, whatever the case might be, they have a loud enough voice to make a difference. You just have to do it together. And and this is just a really good example that, you know, this is one instance of them being able to make some change, uh, happen, you know, if we did the same things for other, for other opportunities, whether it was for conservation or whether it was for, you know, for me, I'm a big proponent of Sunday hunting in Pennsylvania, which is something I wish that we'd be able to do. If we could all kind of get together on those types of things, you know, imagine the types of things we could change and how different our hunting landscape might look. And it might be something that we prefer. So I think that's a really good point that you make that the people here actually the ones who got it done, because it just kind of proves that they, that they can make some changes if, if we really want to. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, um, so that was the one of the people. Yeah, there you go. Sorry. I had to get on my soapbox for a second. It happens. (laughs) It happens every now and then. Um, but, uh, there's one other big piece of news that I wanted, wanted to announce, uh, you know, uh, before we got on the podcast, I I spoke with you and, and, and Glenn, of course, and, uh, Ozonics has, has graciously given us an opportunity to do a giveaway of an HR 200 unit here on the show. Um, so I want to say a big thank you to, uh, uh, buddy, you and, uh, the folks at Ozonics and of course, Glenn, uh, kind of helping us connect all the dots for giving the truth from the stand listeners and the, all the folks here listening, uh, an opportunity to get their hands on an Ozonics unit. So appreciate that. Um, no, I mean, we're glad to do it. And, and as I said, it's, uh, it's going to be awesome to be able to, uh, to, um, see guys in PA start using the units and, and experiencing the success it brings with it. Yeah, absolutely. And so the way that you can enter that as all the folks out there that are listening, the way you can get in on, on the, uh, the giveaway here is, uh, the social media post on Facebook related to this podcast post. Um, if you like that, uh, post and share it, you will be entered into the giveaway. We'll do a random drawing and then we'll get your contact information and get the, uh, the winnings out to you. But, uh, buddy, I, I know I want to be a little sensitive to your time here. We've kept you just about an hour. Um, and I know that, uh, uh, the, the life of a, of a railroad conductor can be a busy one and, and some odd hours potentially. So I want to be sensitive to your time and make sure we get you, uh, get you some, uh, some rest time and some relaxed time this evening. So, uh, just want to say thanks for joining. Uh, again, you know, thanks for um, you know uh, participating in the uh, the Ozonics giveaway and, and helping the folks here that listen to Truth from the Stand get their hands on one of those units. And uh, thanks for joining the show. And we look forward to you know getting in touch with you again soon here in the not so distant future. And we'll see you at Harrisburg. Man, that's awesome, Clint. I hey, both of you guys. I appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk to you. I always love. Uh, I love talking about elk. I love talking about deer and I love talking about hunting. And so uh, anytime I can get to do that, I I appreciate the time. So you guys uh, have a great evening and uh, look forward to seeing you there in PA, Clint. All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. As a quick reminder, super simple. If you would like to enter to win the Ozonics HR 200 giveaway, like and share the Facebook post for podcast number 40 and you're entered. It's that easy. We, of course, want to thank Buddy for joining us, and be sure to head to ozonicshunting.com to check them out and follow them on Facebook and Instagram. I'll place the links mentioned uh, here in the blog post show notes. 
Most importantly, want to say, or uh, want to take a moment to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to the Truth from the Stand podcast. Uh, be sure to go to iTunes and hit the iTunes subscribe button so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes. And of course, follow along with us on the Truth from the Stand Instagram and Facebook pages. Uh, and then finally, I'd like to give a big shout out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. Whitetail Institute of North America, Exodus Outdoor Gear, and Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands. And until next time, we'll see y'all. It takes a special knowing to call a phone Image heads, broken letters Rationalize yourself in numbers But I gotta get away from All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.